Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. And I'm Andy. And in this episode we'll be looking at the TV movie. So, Andy, give us your plot synopsis. No. Well, I'm sitting here until you give us the plot synopsis. So <laughs> this is going to be a really boring podcast. Do you want me to give the plot synopsis for no, once? No, actually, wait. I think I've I've just come up with. Is it, it going to be? It's a big pile of wank starring Paul McGann because you've done that joke already. No, I was going to say it's 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 actually you know basically a ninety minute movie about how a imposter got into the TARDIS and oh don't 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 be one of those fans don't don't okay that's my job you give the synopsis. I'll give the synopsis. We open with the seventh Doctor. Flying through space and time, having collected the Master's remains from being exterminated by the Daleks on Skyro in what must have been an amazing episode that we missed. His and TARDIS is mysteriously... Who's doing the plot synopsis? You don't want to do this. Like you don't want to do this. Let me do this. And his outfit... You, hey, 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 hey. If I'm doing the goddamn plot synopsis, I'm doing the goddamn plot synopsis, okay? Okay, is it You're my making job... this more difficult than it has to is be for everyone concerned. interesting and anyway, this episode, let's switch roles. Start, hasn't it? <laughs> let's switch roles. Just for this episode, no. I can be Adam and you can be Andy. <laughs> you know what? I haven't even been drinking. I was going to get so drunk this morning before I watched a TV movie, but then I got up really, really late. <laughs> Basically, the Seventh Doctor crashes because the Master is a small, has turned into the T-1000. He gets shot. He, he's killed by a heart surgeon. He regenerates into Paul McGann. There's a lot of gefump that makes no sense. They run around. It looks very nice and quite expensive. Um, they, they're all very dashing. They run off. The Doctor kisses her. The Master is suitably camp. There's a Asian child running around with the Master. Um, and it's so somehow, but I still, after having watched this thing for so many years, still can't quite work out what a temporal orbit is, and they all live happily ever after. See? That's quite easy, isn't they it? They live happily ever after. What about me? Well, okay, we come at this from a very different view, but it's interesting, because um, when I, f I first saw this, 96, it was actually the first Dot 2 I'd seen on on telly, because I, I, I kind of... Well, I'd seen like the first episode of Curse of Fenric, but I was an overly nervous child and didn't watch anymore. But um, I kind of got into Doctor Who with the repeats. Okay, so actually, no, I'm talking bollocks. I just realised it wasn't the first Doctor Who I'd seen on TV. I saw the repeats they were doing in 92 and 93. You mean it was the first, first original new, yeah, Doctor story? This was the first original. And, you know, I, I was a, even though I was a big Seven fan, so I was looking forward to seeing, seeing Sylvester McCoy. And uh, so when I watched it, I mean, I recorded it off the telly and everything, and, and had a copy of VHS for years. I enjoyed it. Even even at the time, I knew there were things wrong with it, and th those have increased over the years, particularly with the series coming back so successfully and doing right what the TV movie did wrong. But I, I do find it an interesting cultural artefact, in a way, because this is weird insight into what Doctor Who in the 90s might have been like. Do you have anything to say, or am I literally going to be talking? No, I, I do have things to say, but I had to veto what I was about to just say in my head. And and you must appreciate the enormous amount of self-control that that went into that. Um, right, okay, now I'm, I'm going to start with my um, actual main gripe about the film. It was Doctor Who, an American co-production, imagined for an American audience. But American audiences liked the way Doctor Who was imagined anyway. But most Americans didn't know Doctor Who. It's still, I mean, I, I don't quite know it works entirely with American TV, but it was shown on, th on like, their, I think, their public broadcast 
thing. I, I apologize to American listeners if I'm talking bollocks. I, I'm, uh, it's not an area I know a lot about. I can tell you all about the internal politics of the BBC from about 1980 to 1989, but American TV and how it works is a little bit of a mystery to me. But it was just so they, they used to have it on repeats. On, but it was it was always a cult thing. It wasn't like a major same point. Most Americans had no idea. Well, the thing is, is that um, I'm, I'm sure American fans if you're listening you're going to have to uh, tell us you know how you sort of got into classic who if, if classic who is your thing and, and I'd, I'd be very interested to find out but it must have had some some sort of resonance in the u.s if they decided to as make a, a, as a cult thing it. yeah well yeah as a cult thing but i think it was more like but it was Phillips. a sci-fi program it was yeah. always going to be a cult thing no, no, sci-fi programs can uh, can be big. I mean, even something like oh, Lost, yes, Lost was huge in the in the US. Not yes, but it will still now. be. I, I think but, that programs like Lost they might have been huge at the time, but it will still be considered. Like, give it twenty years, and people will be talking well, about no, it as a cult piece of television. Well, no, not really. It was a major mainstream hit. I mean, they'll talk about it as an old program, yeah. But uh, cult. I, I don't I, think I, that cult has to mean that it had low audience figures. It I just think it means, does. I, no, I, I really actually think that uh, it just means that it has a, a very dedicated uh, a band of followers who've sort of uh, uh, kept it alive over a amount of time. It's, it's very rare that things instantly come out and are instantly called a cult. A lot of things are called destined to be a cult classic, you know, but but I think it's uh, the time and the, and the dedication over that time that actually makes something into a cult. Yeah, okay. I mean, I see, I see your point. But but my point is, it, it was a cult thing in America. I mean, it was. It never reached the level of popularity, or didn't. It, it in in no way embedded itself in the national conscience over there, the, the way it did over here. I mean, America is obviously huge. I mean, we you know, there's always that Neil Gaiman thing in American Gods about America is actually several different countries fitted together, really, uh, and pretends to be one. You know, it was it was a cult thing over there. Much in the way that Doctor Who became a cult thing over here in the mid to late eighties when it was became less popular. The thing is, uh, it was taken. So the but, concept was taken, and it was made Hollywood. And the Doctor is not Hollywood. What? Well, yeah, but at the same time, is it really Hollywood? Is it really? Because there's a lot of elements in the TV movie that have turned up in the new series: faster paced, better budget. Yes, but more those... action. A Doctor Who kisses. Those are all things that have become more standard over time because, you know, uh, uh, we now have uh, a certain technology, you know, it's... it's uh, what, kissing has become standard because of technology? Doctor okay, no, kissing hasn't become so standard because of technology, lead. but you have to remember that uh, 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 Doctor Who is a cultural institution, be going on since the 60s, it, it would have gotten, you know, uh, whether you like it or not, and I know we've had this discussion before, it, it would have gotten stuck in a, a certain, uh, you know, amount of things. One of those, I think, really, was the idea that romance was perhaps suggested, but never really, you know, never truly... Very vaguely suggested, yeah. It, I mean... And it never truly took off, but, you know, bringing back the new series in 2000, five you know when do you not have a program on television now that doesn't feature some you know source of romance it's, yeah. it's, just, a, it's just one of those things that would have had to have happened and basically the well, yeah yeah i agree and and that, but my point is the tv movie did it first yeah, but and and, and it, my it, point it, is the is tv that... movie i think is this weird stepping stone between the old series and the new series and there are elements from both and i, I don't think you can really deny that I, I i'm not saying there wouldn't have been a new series out of the tv movie because yeah, that that would be a ridiculous statement to make. But do you really think that the new series would have been that different without mm, the TV movie? Not necessarily, but I don't think... It's hard to know exactly what influence it does and doesn't have. I mean, Russell T. Davis has actually been quite positive about it, I think, in the past. He, he said there's some great 
some of the greatest Who moments in it. I don't know which ones. Yeah. I haven't read the interview. I've, I've seen that quote. That there were some great moments. I haven't read the whole interview in, in which she says that. But the thing is, is that uh, when it uh, when the series was rebooted in two thousand and five, it was brought up to what you would probably consider to be the standards of the time. You know, yeah. um, and and because people had more of a free reign of it, it was literally you know imagine Doctor Who for the you know uh, new century, um, which is what they did. And 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 yeah, I. I uh, and, and it's actually, um, interestingly enough, I think because the reboot is, is still relatively young. I mean, obviously, it's been going pretty strong since 2005, but it's still relatively young in comparison to the, you know, original sort of run, um, that they are continuing to take it and be more risque and push some more boundaries. Although I think in this day and age, you're sort of allowed to do that more. Uh, yeah, whereas yeah. before you couldn't, so I, yeah, I honestly don't think there would be such a major difference but, to the new series uh, without the TV movie. That's the trouble we're talking in what ifs. We yeah. don't know because if we it are. hadn't been, I mean, it hadn't, I mean, the thing about the Doctor Who TV movie, as I was saying to you before, is that in a weird way, okay, it didn't have any effect on television. Though it did prove there was an audience in, in the UK because it got very good ratings, like eight nine million, yeah. which it hadn't had since Peter Davison, and obviously it was a bit of a flop in the US, but. It gave, in a weird way, it kind of gave a lot of the spin-off fiction a bit of a fresh start. Because before then, with the new adventures, it had been the Seventh Doctor. Now I'm obviously, you know, anyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm a big Seventh Doctor fan. But it had gone to the point in the new adventures where, because he's the Seventh Doctor, and he has to be manipulative and blah, 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 to the point of possibly, in lesser writers, becoming almost a parody of, like, you know, planning everything and doing this. Whereas, you know, the TV movie comes along, you get a fresh Doctor, a fresh start. And obviously, you know, then you... A few couple of years later, you've got the big finish stuff, and then you get the big finish eight doctor stuff, and it's all it gave a, a fresh doctor for for the other fictions to carry on Doctor Who with Doctor Who in it. I think I'm stumbling over my words a bit there, but no, I you, you, you get you get my point, you know. So I think it was important in that in that way, and and he's actually is is it Steve's um a friend a fellow Who fan. Um, Steve, who I believe listens to this. Hello, Steve. Hi. I think you like to be called Steve. I've never checked. Well, I'm, I'm calling, calling him Steve. Steve now. I'm, 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 yeah. Hello, I'm, Steve. I'm dancing on Steve. It's um, he, he's got this thing about uh, the, the TV movie needed to happen because it could, it could prove what you shouldn't do. He, he's got this thing about, and he's right, uh, McGann, who gives a very good performance in this, I think, yes, no, for, I, I will for not, the little screen time he gets. I will not refute that. I, I don't actually have anything against the idea of Paul McGann as the Doctor. And the little screen time he gets, and that's something I will get to in a bit, uh, he is very much a composite Doctor. Now, to be fair, most Doctors are in their first couple of adventures. You know, they're still finding the character. They're still, the script they're still writers, checking that yeah, it works. Yeah, the script writers are still trying to work out what's best for them. So they all are a little bit. But he is very much, you know, he's got the long, the, the big hair. He's got the, the, the velvet coat. He's got the jelly babies. And he's got all these little um, bits and bobs from old Doctors. But it doesn't quite work. And then you've got... Eccleston, who comes in 2005, yeah. black black jeans, black shirt. Black no explanation. Jacket. No explanation. Hi, Rose, run for your life. <laughs> and that pretty, pretty much sets yeah. the tone. Yeah, know? exactly. And um, if you tried to do that in, in, in 96, the, the fans would have been like, what do you mean he's wearing jeans and a black T-shirt? What do you mean he doesn't have long hair and is northern? I think it's quite an interesting idea. that Maybe it almost had to happen to show that you needed to do different things with the Doctor or it would get stale. You know, I think if you ask a lot of people um, who aren't perhaps as into their who as we or our listeners may well be, 
it, they, they sort of do remember the TV movie, but only really in a, oh yeah, kind of way. Like if you mention it, a lot of people, it, it doesn't really stick out as being particularly memorable for them. They're like, oh yeah, there was a movie. I remember that. I think that even without the movie, I know that we're doing this whole what if thing again, but even without that, um, if they bought it back in 2005, um, you know, Sylvester McCoy should, Christopher Eccleston, and he is wearing jeans and a t-shirt. I don't think people would have had a problem with that. Maybe but, but not. But only I, because I, I'm, I'm I love the fact that mm. he always arrived in a glorious, you know, blaze of silence, essentially, you know, and never explained anything. And that that's fine. Well, I mean, my point, perhaps most more from a fan point of view a little bit. You're right, I don't think the general public would have been shot. Though it's interesting, no, even before, you know, Chris Eccleston was cast, there were always stories between the TV movie and the show going back. Those stories about... Will it be Alan Davis who comes back and plays the Doctor just because he's got big hair? Yeah. You know, and he makes him think of... Will it be Eddie Izzard because he's a bit weird? <laughs> you, you, but, I mean, to be honest, talking about what Eccleston has cast, is that something we should more look at when we do Rose? Yes. Because going back to the TV movie anyway. <laughs> one of the things straight off that doesn't work is actually the pandering to fans in the script. Because you yes. start the first mon- opening monologue and it's Scaro, Daleks, Master, Time Lords, Gallifrey. And if, that, if this is a genuine pilot to launch this to a new... American and British audience fails on the first hurdle because they don't know what the hell you're talking about. Fans just, do. Yeah, but just, just out of interest average... as well. Um, the thing, it actually kind of wind, uh, wound me up about that initial opening, like, you know, set in the background of space and the Doctor's narrating it. Now, has there ever been an episode before where the Doctor's narrating? Because I, I know that there was um, Family of Blood more recently where the little girl was sort of narrating over the there, top. There is narration. I can't think of the... Whether the Doctor's narrated. But that's a weird thing to get wound up about, to be fair. I mean, why shouldn't the Doctor narrate? Because the the point is... Is this you once again trying to find a... No, 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 no. Honestly, if the Doctor uh, narrates, then it's like he's trying to explain. And part of the Doctor's charm is that he doesn't really explain. I mean, he almost humours people with explanations, you know. Um, But he doesn't explain because people aren't really supposed to understand, you know. The Eighth Doctor, and this can't stop explaining things to people. I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of really funny. Can't. It's it's kind of funny how the um, the seventh Doctor has got the one that's a reputation for being manipulative. But it's Paul McGangling out to people go, do this, do that, don't do this, bye. And yeah, you know, delicate web of time, Paul. <laughs> but but no, it it did actually get to me because I felt straight away that it was an out of character thing, even for a Doctor I didn't know to do. But tell me, the Doctor's character shifts so much anyway. I don't know if we can. Maybe the Eighth Doctor, if we'd had a TV series, would be more explaining and less mysterious. Because, you know, you always have your more mysterious Doctors and your less mysterious oh, Doctors. Yeah, of course, I mean, but, you know. Even, I'd say, Tennant and Smith, for example. I'd say Tennant's a uh, more open, less mysterious Doctor. That's not a criticism, but there's a yeah, character Yeah, you know thing. what? Weirdly but, enough, when I was trying to think uh, to myself... Can I just finish my it? sentence? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. We got really bad at this recently. Actually, constantly. I'm surprised you don't get complaints about the way we interrupt each other. <laughs> really, it's okay. But um, I was just going to say that Smith is a more mysterious doctor. His actions are often less clear. It's okay. You can speak now. I'm really sorry. Um, no, I was just going to say that um, uh, when I was trying to think, cast around for doctors that might have narrated things, the only one who was sort of coming to mind was David Tennant. Yeah. And I, I think it was actually because I was thinking of uh, Family of Blood episode, and then I realised that it wasn't Tennant narrating, it was uh, the little girl. No, it was the boy. Oh, was the, it the boy? The, the, yeah, the long Oh, uh, yes, yes, of course it was the, the boy. And, and yeah, I, I actually don't think that it's really something a doctor's done before. But no, it, it I can't almost, think of any examples. Uh, I, I, I'm not just, I, I promise, I'm not just being stupid with that one because I, I do admit, I do like to find holes to pick in this film, but that was something that 
just put my back up straight away. I haven't seen the, the film since I first watched it, and so this is only the second time I've seen it, but straight away, you know, opening scene, and I could feel myself getting wound up, and I actually had to say to myself, is this just me being annoyed because I hate this film so much, mm. or is it just me? And then I realised that that's why. It just felt like an out-of-character thing favorite, My favourite uh, example of Andy trying to pick holes was when she went, I don't think the Seventh Doctor's costume is very doctory, and I was like, he's wearing a waistcoat. And a, and a tie, and the original Seventh Doctor hat, and surely you know that's as doctory as a question mark pullover. Uh, I, I yes, just... it is. No, that is you poking. I'm sorry, I know, but if you can accept thought... the Ninth Doctor's costume, you've got to be able to accept. It's is when you saw the um, when when you initially saw um Sylvester McCoy uh, because they do do a handover. It starts off with Sylvester McCoy, and I know we've had this conversation in the past actually, where you said that was a mistake. Yeah, and I, I, I completely say that as... agree with you. They set up a character. They set up the Doctor as Sylvester McCoy, and ten minutes into the film, they kill him. And it just it, there are so many things wrong with that. I, even Sylvester, I think Sylvester McCoy himself has said that he thinks now, looking back, they shouldn't have started with him. But you know, because he, he's always been very loyal to the role in the, the program, and he wanted to do a handover. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm certainly can... not. You know, saying. Oh that yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I, I know, I know, you're not. I mean, it is. It, it's kind of interesting to see a story which starts with one doctor and ends with another. But yeah. you're right because we never seen that before, and we have seen it since. Just and there's, considering there's a good that reason they're why. actually using this as a way to introduce it to. Um, to an audience that perhaps haven't seen Who before. Yeah. Um, it just feels it's like whack, confusing. whack, whack, explanation, first ten minutes, main character's dead, wait a minute, he's come back to life and he's somebody else. What? You know, that's such a... That, that's so mind-blowing. Again, it's more it's more fan-pandering, and this is why you should never pander to fans, really. This yeah. is why fans are the worst people to tell you what to do when running a programme. Do you hear that, internet? You're useless. <laughs> but the thing is, is when uh, you, you see those first shots of Sylvester McCoy, he looks entirely different from his traditional Seventh Doctor, which is fair enough, because we always hated, you know, there's a question mark stuff yeah. that was going but on there. It, and it the doesn't TARDIS... look that far removed from his, his kind of... It's, it seems a logical progression of his costume. You know, he's got the shirt and tie and, and the jacket. Well, I, I'll get to that in a minute. But, you, uh, the you TARDIS... really can't n- criticise his costume, OK? There's n- that's rid- the, the TARDIS looks very, very different as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's lost... In the establishing shot, I think that they were basically what they... And, and in fact, I think, actually, in retrospect, this is why the costume irritated me a bit. Uh, because things... Sometimes they come to me and they do randomly irritate me. And when I think about it, I actually realise the reason why. It's because in the establishing shots of him, he's sitting there in an armchair, in his TARDIS, which now looks like, you know, a sort of... Victorian uh, steampunk thing. No, I don't think so, actually. I think what it was going for is a room in a, 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 like, you know, a university, a very grand old university, like, um, you know, Oxford or Cambridge or somewhere, and he's sitting there and and there's a fire and it's all lit by candles. It's it's very gothic and stony and and all lined with, you know, uh, books. and, And he's sitting there wearing, was it a sort of tweedy... Well, yeah, tight jacket, jacket and the tie and um and and it, with the hair combed out and he's reading um H.G. Wells the time machine yeah and uh, okay so that, probably, there's a little probably looking back and thinking god he made time lash into a decent adventure how, how did that happen <laughs> Um, but but yeah, basically, I think what they've actually done there is they've said, right, okay, this character is only alive for ten minutes. We've got to think of some way to make him sympathetic to the audience. I know, he's our elderly professor. Well, yeah, but what's wrong with that? He was a professor. Ace called him the professor all the time. It's yes, but... I know that, but it just... 
But I, 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 I do think, I'm sorry, but I really think you're literally, just because you don't like this, you're, you're, you're doing the ultimate Dan thing and finding really weird little things to be irritated about. I mean, I know you're not keen on, 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 the, on the, the TARDIS design in the movie. And I will say, when I first saw it, I was like, holy shit, wow. But that's because, you know, I was used to the tiny, low-budget version. And to see that as a fan for the first time, the big-budget TARDIS is really kind of like, holy shit. And that, but now looking back, I think the design is wrong. I think it loses the alien quality of it. And I think, I, despite you disagreeing with me, I do think it looks a bit Victorian steampunk. The, the console, at least. The, the console, yes, you're right. It, it does look steampunk. But uh, perhaps that's a byproduct of the fact that they've sort of gone right. We want it to look like quite gothic. Um, there, there are definite references to the inside of a church. I don't know if they're trying to sort of elect some sort of, oh, God, you know, yeah, uh, Dr. God. Well, actually, they're definitely trying to elect some Dr. God uh, comparisons, well, but we'll get to that in a moment. I was going to say, I have in my notes, Jesus, question mark, no thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> there is a part in uh, when, when he was in the hospital and after he's regenerated and he's there and he's wearing a white morgue sheet which looks a bit like a sort of Jesus robe and, and all his hair is looking very Jesus-y and, and there's a lightning storm and, and it might as well be raining on him as well and and he's like you know sort of crouching down with his arms outstretched yelling who am I in in like you know whilst flashes of Eric Roberts as the master you know looking a bit evil you and know, of course he, at the end juxtaposed. He, at the end he's almost crucified and wears a crown of thorns yes yes uh, well a, a crown of thorns as imagined by you know, Stanley Kubrick and a Clockwork Orange. Um, yes. Okay, as a movie, I guess that I can sort of see why they might be relying on what is essentially lazy characterization. We stick a person in a costume, put them against a certain background, people will make assumptions about them. But uh, I, I just... I don't know. I had a lot of respect for uh, McCoy's doctor, and I just—I almost wish, as, as stupid as it sounds, that uh, you know, it could have gone in a different way. I actually I want to talk about that a bit because, like I said, as, as a seventh Doctor fan, I came in knowing I was going to see my doctor die basically into this when I first watched it, and it does make me feel quite sad. I mean, there was a thing—he just kind of wander out without looking on the scanner into a hail of bullets, and I mean, you could argue maybe the scanner was broken in the crash. But you still think you need to show that you don't, you know. It, and I mean, it is weird because the Seventh Doctor was always a very powerful Doctor. He was, he was, you know, he was a game player, he was manipulative. He was always two steps ahead yeah. of everyone else. And just to see him cut down like that, but of course, of course, it's not the bullets that kill him; it's Grace. Let's not forget this. And, and this has always irritated me a bit because I can't help but think if I'm ever having heart surgery and the surgeon goes, "I have this heart problem. I seem to be lost. Should I either a." carefully remove the probe and try and work out what's wrong maybe consider the fact that the x-rays show that he has two hearts i don't have two hearts but bear with me or shall i just shove it in further and see what happens and then she shoves it in further and then she's like oh he seems to be having a heart attack really really no fucking surprise bitch you just push the heart probe and you're lost you know, it's just the stupidity is amazing. I always wanted the film to end with, with Grace, with Grace actually getting a letter from the doctor suing her for medical malpractice because <laughs> she had a case there. I think. I mean, Grace herself, you know, Dashi Afbrook is fine. She's she's actually not a terrible character. She's just obviously a bit dim at her job, and I'm surprised the evil hospital administrator, who you can tell is evil because he cares about money and has evil and music play, playing at one point. Yeah. I like to think if there'd been a series, he'd have been like a recurring character doing his like, ha ha, I have saved $50 by firing all the cleaning staff. Ha ha, you won't stop me, doctors. Doctors. But anyway, where was I going with this? But yeah, it, it's kind of sad seeing the doctor killed in such a way. Part of me thinks not every doctor can have a big 
dramatic ending. It's better than hitting your your head in the TARDIS constantly and regenerating. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it is tending. And to be fair, even William Hartnell just kind of collapses at the end of Tenth Planet. He doesn't get a big finale. But he was old. Well, yes, and but, it but was, you know, but you know, it was a new concept. But still, you know what I mean. It's it's not a dramatic end. But I, I do, I do, I do feel so. He didn't get. Uh, I would like to have seen him get a, that Doctor get a better ending, just because I like his Doctor so much. You know what I would actually really like for the Seventh Doctor is the idea of him finally being beaten. You know, not not some sort of accident or mishap, or you know, the idea of him actually finally taking on a game that was too big, too much for him, and and being beaten by it. And then I like the idea of his uh, the next Doctor coming along and sort of having to learn from uh, the mistakes of his predecessor. Oh, no, 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 even better. Uh, I, I, he could could have ended with um, the regeneration being part of his plan. Oh yes, that that could that would that worked. would be that would have that would have been good. That I'd I'd like that, but. Sailor V. Okay, let, let's discuss the elephant in the room with this film, Half Human. Now, I, I it's interesting because <laughs> oh look, I just said it's interesting again. In a, in America, that for me is the most American thing about this film, making him half human. Despite the fact that it makes no sense, because if you were uh, some kind of Gallifreyan human cross, I don't think your retina would be human. You, you know, talk about this eye I, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's not like different bits of your body would be Gallifreyan, different bits would be human. Now. If you look at American science fiction, there are so many examples of uh, he- half human, half alien. I think it's the idea that audiences can't relate to a completely alien character, despite the fact Britain had no problem for 26 years with this. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's Mr. Spock, um, I can't think of any others, but I know there are lots. But like Babylon 5, it had, oh, I haven't seen Babylon 5 for years, the woman who made herself half human, Delenn, I think. Uh, it's been years since I saw it. But it's such a... It's almost quite a boring concept, really, because it's so used in in American science fiction, half human, half alien. And, uh, yeah, it's just a bit... It doesn't really add anything to the character. I mean, no. if, it's, if it's supposed to indicate that that's the reason the Doctor visit Earth, visits Earth so often, you might as well say, I'm half from Brighton, because I go to Brighton a couple of, now and again. That doesn't make sense. That's not, not true. You, just because you visit a place a lot doesn't make you partly from it. Yeah. I... So. There's a half-human thing. Oh, it's so ridiculous. I, I know that fans get hung up on it. I know that I get hung up on it. But I've I've always loved the Doctor for his alienness. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the point. This is the Doctor. He is an alien, you know. He, he's an alien who, you know, through his certain human traits and his human appearance we can relate to. But that doesn't mean that he actually has to be half human you know because we we relate to him anyway yeah it's not necessarily doesn't it as adds nothing really no it doesn't Uh, apart from a lot of fan anger uh, well i mean this is the thing it's kind of been subtly dismissed in the new series and i think there was at one point in one episode uh rusty davis was going to put a line about him being he's like saying i was i was half i was half human for five minutes once or something but he then decided decided, i think quite rightly he said well you know a lot of the new fans wouldn't get the reference. Although I think it was thrown to the the the, the Paul Cornell episode, the the uh, Human Nature or something. And people, he's and he's right. I think not to include it, but it's kind of been very subtly dismissed. Like talk to the the whole Doctor Meta Human Crisis thing in Journey's End. I think there's talk about it's it comes across in such a way that the half human half time lord thing is just doesn't happen. Yeah, and because people go, well, the Doctor says he says he's half human in in, in the TV movie, but people forget. Like River Song says, the Doctor lies. Why? I don't get why people always think the Doctor tells the truth or doesn't exaggerate half the time. 
you I know. don't think that was the intention in this film. I have to say, no, especially no, no, because no, 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 no. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. The it, saying, oh, he's half human." It wasn't. No, no. I, and I, in I, fact, it became a tiny bit of a plot device, didn't it? At the end, when yeah, uh, they a were nonsensical saying, plot yeah, device. Yeah, a nonsensical one, which we will be happy to ignore. Uh, no, but <laughs> what I was going to say was, I know that wasn't the intention in the film. You can read in, read back into it. Yeah, that it was. No, thank you for that, Russell. I mean, though, though, I don't want to complete. I said it's it's quite. I don't completely slag it off. It's quite slick. It's uh, it's kind of enjoyable in, in in a weird Michael Bay turn your brain off kind of way. Um, there's some good dialogue. It's well directed. It, it's it almost carries you through despite the plot holes. Um, there's some great scenes like when Lee goes into the TARDIS and you just get that wonderful reaction shot of him just kind of shaking his head, going back out again, walking looking around, around it, yeah, and then walking and then back, back in, which is a brilliant scene, absolutely brilliant. No, and there were one or two lines that did you know raise a, a laugh or a smile. Um, I like what I say. It's good dialogue. It you go, you go one or two lines. One or two lines. It, it was. It was quite grudging. Yeah, I've, I've I've never seen anything that you know deliberately uh, tried to pander to the fans so much that failed quite so hard. You know, it, it's. I mean, there are a couple of nice ideas in here, like the Eye of. Like, actually, that's one thing. The Eye of Harmony, which is obviously from Deadly Assassin, where it's like the entire Gallifreyan power source, blah blah blah, is now in the Doctor's TARDIS. But I think it was. They dealt with that in some of the spin-off stuff. They went, oh, it's actually just a link to the, to the actual Eye of Harmony that powers the TARDIS, which is fine, which is fine. But there's bats in the TARDIS. I don't know if anyone else noticed that. Yes, and leaves. And leaves. But to be fair, there were leaves in Logopolis. There were vines. It's not actually without precedent. I know, but there were like dead leaves scattered all over the floor of the uh, pseudo-church uh, where the Eye of Harmony was actually housed. It, 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 there's a nice thing about there being a link between the Doctor and the TARDIS. So when the Eye of Harmony is open... He knows it's happened. And, I mean, you never, yeah, you've no, never actually seen nice. a link that strong yeah, before. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's possibly yeah the sort of forerunner to the Doctor's wife. Possibly, but uh, you never see a link before or after that strong to the TARDIS. You know, his own link to it. It's, I mean, we could discuss the end, but I'm not really sure what happens because they close the Eye Harmony and then they go, "We have to go back before we arrive." Not explaining how that serves anything, and then they enter a temporal orbit, which. Grace fails a bit as a companion here because the whole point of companion is they go along and they go, Doctor, what's that? Doctor, what's the Cyberman? Doctor, where is the cat? I don't know. <laughs> you know, you ask questions and the Doctor goes, Well, Cybermen are from here. That's there. Your cat's over there. Uh, oh, but, you know, she doesn't, she, she never asks him what a temporal orbit is. We never find out. Now, a temporal orbit would indicate maybe that they're circling a moment of time, but that still doesn't make any sense of why that happens. I don't know why Grace and Lee die at the end and then some. Golden light is belched out by the TARDIS that brings it back to life. Though you could wonder if there's, yeah, a, if there's a link Mac link between the golden light, the golden light we see there, and the golden light we then see in when the Doctor regenerates and in future. No, uh, Paul McGann does make some throwaway line about, ah, oh, you know, the TARDIS works in funnier ways sometimes or something. Yeah, but as far as I know, it's it's never really brought people back to life before. <laughs> Certainly not like that, you know. It's something to do with them traveling back in time or something. It's, it's just really doesn't make the whole not ending. It's just a bit even why. I like the way the Doctor goes, this planet will be sucked inside the Eye of Harmony at midnight, presumably because the, the, the TARDIS has an inbuilt drama circuit. And <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry, that really tickled me. So in many ways, you and the TARDIS have a lot in common. <laughs> yes, a little bit. <laughs> but it's just like, and, and of course, as many people have pointed out, you see the world getting sucked into the TARDIS, but it's it's all at midnight. The entire world is at midnight at the same moment. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, obviously universe time is actually the same time, time as America. Time travel, there you go, that's yeah. easily explained.
I, I like the idea, like, you know, when it's New Year's uh, Eve on the telly and they, um, they, they, they go across the world and it's like always Australia first and they show Australia's fireworks and they go across the world. I like the idea of them doing that, but showing each country being sucked into the TARDIS as their, you know, midnight comes around. I, I, I quite like that. I also, um, it, it was making us feel old and sort of laugh at the same time because uh, this all takes place on uh, New Year's Eve 1999. So this is like, you know, sort of pre-millennium bug hysteria and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, aside from the fact, as I pointed out, that uh, Lee's haircut was already four years out of date by then. Um, I, I really hope that in all the party scenes, you know, the director was there shouting, I want you all to party like it's New Year's Eve 1999. If that was an attempt to the print song, you failed dramatically. <laughs> no, no, that was just in my own head. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's always like a strange thing when you get, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, films and stuff that are, are only a couple of years into the future, you know, and, and uh, it, it wasn't really that much different. I mean, New Year's Eve 1999... I was dressed as uh, Scary Spice and at my next door neighbour's party with my family um, and my sisters had gone as uh, Baby and Posh and my mum had gone as, <laughs> as Sporty and my dad had gone as Ginger. <laughs> he didn't have any hair. So we painted his head red. And um... <laughs> Are we seriously going to one of your family anecdotes now? Really? Because this is, this is actually turning out to be the longest podcast we've done so far. Ironically on the TV movie, which you hate. But there um, are many things I hate about it. Adam is actually like tapping his leg in a in a you know sort of yeah. Well, for what it's worth, uh, New Year's Eve I was dressed as the Fourth Doctor, so um, there you go. So cute. It, it, that actually did give me another chuckle as well when um, um, because of course he, he's it, it's the second time we've seen the classic uh, Doctor. Um, uh, regenerating and, and raiding a hospital for his clothing. You know, the, the doctor doesn't obviously have much consideration for uh, fellow patients, but uh, he does uh, another little fan thing. But a fan thing that I thought worked is is that, you know, um, there was a scene of him going into somebody's locker and pulling out a really long fourth doctor scarf, which I thought was fantastic because it's one of those moments that if you didn't get the reference, then it's, it's fine, you know, it doesn't, you know, add or detract anything for you. If you do get the reference, you think, ah, you know it was like it was a really nice little moment and I thought it was so much nicer than him constantly offering people jelly babies you know which which was just too much if if he had done it once that would have been fine but he did it several times over and I was like yeah you just stolen a trait from you know a very specific trait from an old doctor rather than alluded to it once I, I didn't yeah, like that very so much. bitter um music <laughs> mu again music actually uh the music in this I have uh it's it's kind of again putting the indication the music would go in the, in the series. It's not electronic; it's orchestral. I mean, it's got quite a slightly Danny Elfman feel. Um, I'll probably actually end this instead of the, with the underwater menace with um, something from the soundtrack, I imagine, or maybe Prince nineteen ninety nine. If we don't get sued. So yeah, music's going that direction. I'm kind of running out of things to say, to be honest. Well, uh, actually, one thing to note is that the music, and I think that you've said this before, um, it, 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 I, I think it probably did start to influence um, uh, the 2005 reboot as such. Um, 
uh, because it is bringing in those more sort of uh, more classical undertones and also the uh, opening uh, sequence uh, showing um, the TARDIS at the end of or being sucked down a sort of uh, Actually, that does look a lot space. like the new title yes, series. in fact the, the new uh, series titles have pretty much four. stolen that and, and just you know uh, prepped up a bit well, I mean, which is something that works you know I mean it's, it's something as inconsequential as, as the title sequence but uh, uh, yeah I mean the thing is is just to sum it up because I, I know I've not exactly been big on the last this podcast but it just it didn't feel entirely like the doctor and you know I, I always question whether um you know you could actually bring in a new character to play the doctor in a one-off movie and ever have it feel like the doctor you know i, I just think it's, it's sometimes a bit too complex a character like you say even with the background the explanation i think the doctor works best when you are able to you know that there are some characters and some um, uh, you know, films, a whole genre of films where they just uh, work well once as, 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 you know, just a one off that yeah, 90 minutes. Yeah. Whereas the, the Doctor's more character, suited to a series. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, and and his, his character has been evolving over the past nearly 50 years, you know? Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree. I think, I always think Doctor Who works best in a serial format. I've never been keen on the idea of a film because a film is just two hours where the series you get to go to different places and you get the, the whole point about having all time and space ahead of you. In summary, you know, I have kind of fond memories of it from when it was first shown. I think Sylvester McCoy is very good in it. I think I think it's well acted. I think oh, we haven't talked about Eric Roberts as the master. Oh yes, um, of course. We, there's a vague chance a friend of ours, Sam, might might send in an audio recording of him defending Eric Roberts as the master. <laughs> but and if he does, I'll edit it into this at, um, at a later date. But I, I would just like to say I kind of enjoy him. He's he's camp. He's a uh, I mean, he's very camp, but he's probably no camp than John Sims was. Uh, he's Johnson, yeah. he's all right. He's not terrible, but he, I mean, it's very much a kind of standard Eric Roberts baddie villain. I mean, I saw The Expendables recently, and he's in that, and it's pretty much the same performance. Well, this is but... it, and, and this is actually something I said to you. I dislike um, Eric Roberts as the master, but only because I feel like his performance. I, I get that he's a very like cool, you know, laid back kind of evil, but I actually thought it was almost a little lazy that was just my perception of it and, and when you say that you know it's it's a standard eric roberts baddie mm. you know that, that he couldn't actually have you know reached in there a bit and given it some extra you know a bit of extra depth but considering I, but there's not a lot of depth to the character is it of the master really well not in this script but once again I, it's something that's possibly best thing, explored over a series one thing i do like about this is that actually um it does continue that the, the theme of the master fighting for survival, which has been a, a major part of the character since Deadly Assassin, where yeah. beforehand he was just around to, pretty much his whole motivation was, I want to dick with the Doctor because it's funny. And then from Deadly Assassin onwards, he's fighting to live and survive, which I always think makes him a slightly more interesting character. Yeah. And that's continued. So yeah, Eric Roberts, all right, not the best, but actually could have been a lot worse. Well, we've kind of had the summary and then carried on into something else entirely. Anyway, we should possibly think about wrapping, wrapping it up now the, because yeah. we've uh, bored you for nearly uh, three quarters of an hour, which is uh, yeah, 15 We ironically longer. enough didn't go on this long about the war games. So, contact details. If you want to email us, uh, you can reach us at nakedscarf at gmail.com. Feedback's always appreciated. Um, we don't read it out on the show, but we do read it. Twitter, you can get us at, at nakedscarf. 
which, as I always say, is it, the Twitter account is run by me, not Andy. But you know, one day I'm going to stage a coup and take it over. And you the, I'm, we have this argument all the time. No, I'm, I'm quite. Sure. I'm, I'm going to steal it. I'm, I'm going to steal the account. I've given you the password. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to post stuff that you'd hate all over it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> no, you're right. You, that's you, probably not going to happen. You, you, and you can also get us. Our Tumblr is nakedscarf.tumblr.com, where I post the show notes. Have I forgotten anything? No, no, you haven't. Okay. Uh, next episode, we'll be looking at City of Death. This is my compensation for actually having to rewatch yeah. the, um, the the TV I movie. I promised Andy we'd do City of Death uh, to cheer her up. And, and oh, Lala Ward, you're uh, reward enough. If you're reward enough for Tom Baker, then you're reward enough for me. And on that bombshell, uh, take care, folks. <laughs>